here for a couple things. So if you want, yeah, there you go. There's the slide. So we now have switched from using exclusively PayPal. You can still use the PayPal app if you want to, but this becomes a little bit easier. Um, this is actually, you can go back to that first one if you want. That's where you can actually text a number. And uh, this number is up here. It's uh, you text give. So you see it down at the bottom. Some of you guys may not be able to because it's a little smaller. But in the message section, you text give. And then the number that you're going to text is up there uh, at 833-646-0245. We can give you guys some more information about it a little bit too. But, um, but that's going to be a method or a form that you will be able to give. There's also an app called Tithely. It's really cool, Tithely. And, uh, and I, can I can give you guys more information on it. We're, I'm actually going to give a, like print off handouts and stuff. But just to let you guys know about this this option, this platform, so you guys can actually use that later on. Um, but on this, the good thing about it is that you can also set up uh, reoccurring giving if you wanted to. So if you know that you get paid um, certain times of the month or something like that, like I get paid once a month at the college, and so I just set it up last night to where um, right after my check comes out of my, uh, after my check gets deposited into my account, I have an automatic um, tithing system that I actually could just tithe automatically without having to remember, oh man, I got paid, I need to do this. And so I know sometimes with bills, it's a lot easier to forget about some of that stuff. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to be able to, uh, to just remember to give if you, if you want to give, if you're a part of that, we believe in giving um, into the storehouse to, uh, uh, to really provide for what the Lord is doing around here. And so um, this is just a form, this is a way to be able to do that. Again, I'm going to actually get some printouts and I'm going to hand these out. But just to kind of prime the pump, get you guys uh, just aware that this is um, a transition that we're making. And then we're also transitioning into a new website and then actually an app for the church. So you can actually go through and you can find all the things that you need for the church in an actual app itself. So it's going to be pretty sweet. Um, the, next, the next announcement that I have is that we're going to have a volunteer meeting next week uh, for the conference. You guys remember that we had a conference last year around the July time, and uh, Dad thought it'd be a great idea since we're also approaching our 20-year anniversary as uh, as a church and uh, and as an organization. That we'd have a uh, we'd have uh, our conference, our annual conference during that time, just to celebrate all that God is doing here um, within the network as well. Uh, for for those of you guys who don't know, we're actually. Um, uh, we're kind of the hub for a network of churches that look to dad for uh, specific leadership, for guidance and things like that. And, uh, and it's pretty great. So we'll have some people from Mexico come up. They're a part of our, our churches down there. We'll have some people from the states and different areas come out in October. It's going to be late October. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that we have some things put together and in place. And uh, so we st have started meeting already. Uh, it's just some of us um, already in, in some of the leadership just talking about the needs and the necessities that we're going to have for the conference and uh, at, as well as moving forward in, in the church, just giving more opportunities for volunteering and, uh, and just being a part where you guys can actually have some ownership as well. And it's not um, a couple people just doing specific things. So we'll talk about all the needs that we have during that meeting after church next week. So if you have anything specifically that you're like, hey, I don't know what I can do, but I want to help. And so we'll have a meeting with everybody so that they're aware of, hey, this is, these are some areas that you can serve in, and, uh, and we can actually designate you to be in some specific spots. And so it's going to be really great. We're very excited to have another conference and to continue that um, gathering together of believers and different people from different places. And so uh, let's go ahead and, and have the ushers, if you guys would like to, um, go ahead and, and, and grab the baskets, if you would. And, uh, and I'll pray over 
over the tithe and offering. It's a blessing to be able to, to give into the house of the Lord. There's lots of different things that, that this house is able to, to provide and, uh, and to move into. And so uh, if you need an envelope or anything like that, you can raise your hand. They, got, they have a couple that are available. Um, then we also have a giving box in the back if there's a specific area of ministry that you'd like to give to. Um, we have some envelopes, and you can just stick it right there. There's a little box in the back on the sound booth. So let me pray before we get started. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to give. Thank you for, uh, for just the ability to have this, this big building that we can uh, gather together and we can provide uh, different types of ministry. Thank you for the training facility that this is, and thank you for all the people who are a part. Let us be good stewards of what we have so that we can provide for the community and we can actually reach out to the community so that they can be changed and transformed with the gospel message that has so changed and transformed us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. So, um, make sure I have my announcements there. Yes. So, Pastor Ken mentioned uh, Freshwater is going to be this Friday night, uh, July 14th at 7 p.m. We've been doing this now for, man, it's been almost four years now since we've been doing doing Freshwater. It's crazy. Uh, We first started meeting here at the church. We used to do it once a month where we'd gather here. Uh, It was like the last Friday of the month. We'd gather and we'd, uh, we'd worship with different people and and we just had a heart to be able to reach out to more of the community to where we can gather more people to where it wasn't just about a church building or a specific church. Because how many guys know that some people get very comfortable being within their own church building? That if sometimes if something else is going on at another church, uh, they get a little weird about wanting to go in and support certain things like that. So we did not want to be a hindrance for people to want to gather with other believers and just worship. It's not about a denominational um, uh, a station or you know, pushing a specific denominational agenda. Uh, We believe that the Lord is for unity. Amen? It is for freedom that Christ set us free so we can gather with other believers. Uh, We are not exclusively the only people going to heaven. Amen? We're not the only people who can have relationship with God. Amen? And so I'm very excited that there are people gathered at First Baptist today. I'm very excited that people are at Bluff First this morning. I'm very excited that people are at Westside. I'm very excited that you can go all the way down um, the different churches that, that are available, but um, I'm friends with lots of different pastors from all the different churches around the area, and I love what they're doing, and I love the outreach that they're a part of and the discipleship that they're doing with their own people, and so um, I believe that we could unify together in many different ways, and I, I, I really love being able to have fresh water where we can gather together and just have a night of worship, and we take communion with one another, and so we feel like that's a great way to be able to unify, just to see, hey, we are not the only believers in this community, Amen. <laughs> And so it's great to be able to gather with others and then to worship the Lord and, and just do it in a neutral location. I mean, the Rogers Theater is historic anyway, so it's just a, a cool place to be at. And then to be able to lift up the name of Jesus in that place is, is just a wonderful privilege. And so if you want to come out, again, uh, it's at 7 p.m. Doors will open about 6, 6.30. So you can come on out and, uh, and hang out with us. It'd be a, a great time. Um, so let's jump, into, let's jump into the message. We've been in a series recently called Rhythms for Life. And uh, Rhythms for Life, I've been really loving. H- have you guys been enjoying this, this little series over Psalms? It's, uh, it's been really great to go through and study this, uh, this topic. I took a class when I was in seminary uh, over just the book of Psalms, over the Psalter, and, uh, and what it meant for us to, to, to live in the ebbs and flows of life that occur through there, how to read the Psalms with a little bit more intentionality, and how to, to understand what the writers are actually conveying. There are a lot of different writers in Psalms. Uh, It's not just David. David is a massive contributor to the book of Psalms, but there are some other people throughout that book 
that have contributed in, in different ways and fashions. And so it's great to see the collective thought process behind each one of these psalms and what uh, is actually being being taught and what is what is being expressed throughout this time. And so uh, I love this because the the uh, the the Jewish believers they would go through and they would really intently pursue after the Psalms in their gatherings. This would be something that they would they would visit often. And if you're ever a part of any kind of Bible reading plan, typically um, you'll do like a, some kind of passage from the Old Testament and you'll have a passage from the New Testament and then you have a chapter from Proverbs and you have a few chapters from Psalms. And if you do that every single day, then you'll have some great, uh, well-rounded material that's getting uh, 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 kind of filtered in through your mind. So you have a lot of different things, and you get to see how the Bible actually talks and has a conversation with itself, how it affirms and reaffirms and confirms many things in you as you're reading through there, and it transforms you as you go through it. And so the Psalms, I think, is, is a very integral piece of us being able to understand what it means to live a life as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so this series, the way that we're going through it right now, and I'm, I'm thinking about maybe doing this uh, frequently every year, just going through in the summer months, going through many different psalms and just kind of washing over uh, those different places because there are many chapters in the book of Psalms, so we could spend quite a bit of time over the years just hitting these different uh, aspects of the psalm. And so uh, the series overview of this is we started last week with uh, the Psalms of Orientation. Psalms of Orientation. This is, this is a great foundational aspect of the way that we live our lives. This is, if you remember, it's, it's, the, it's the understanding that God rules the world and it's okay because he is king. The sovereignty of God as the sovereign of the universe. As the one who is, is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the all-powerful, the almighty one, the all-sufficient one. Our great refuge, our fortress, our strong tower. All these things. It's a foundation that we can base our lives upon. We sang about Cornerstone this morning, right? And the beautiful, uh, the beautiful thought and the imagery of a cornerstone is that this was the most valuable piece within temple building. I mentioned this a little bit last week, but it's the most valuable piece in temple building in the, in the ancient Near East because in the cornerstone, and you remember Jesus talks about how, how he is the cornerstone. And in the cornerstone is all of the most intimate material that you have about the aspect of their religious practices and beliefs. And so you have the law. That would be within the cornerstone of the temple. So the law of Moses would be in there. All of the, the writings of the prophets. Uh, the reason why they built the temple the specific ways. So, so the, the blueprint that God gave to David, that David gave to Solomon to build the temple. The blueprint of all those things. The worship practices, why they would sacrifice. The different types of sacrifices. The different type of offerings. The different type of, of festivals and feasts that they would celebrate. And so this would be passed on from generation to generation. So even though a temple would be wiped out and wiped clean, if the cornerstone remained intact, then that means that they could always rebuild and they could always reestablish the things that were lost before. The cornerstone was the most valuable and important piece of temple building that you can be a part of. And so we say if Christ is our cornerstone, then he is the foundation that regardless of what happens to the building at different times, as long as we have access to the cornerstone, then we will be able to rebuild and we will be reestablished and we can continue on in the way that God has ordained and, and, and provided for us in those means. And so this is the orientation. Christ is the orientation. And so we have the Psalms of orientation, the ones that establish who God is. 
in the means of our life. And then you have Psalms of disorientation. We're going to go through the first aspect of this um, today. Um, there's two different stages, according to, uh, to Dr. Boda and then especially Dr. Uh, Brueggemann. Um, these are two real good theologians, Old Testament theologians, that, that have done lots of studies and research through, uh, through these books. And they've written commentaries and gone through lots of a- uh, aspects and attributes of, of this book. And they say that there's two different types of disorientation. Disorientation stage one and disorienta- disorientation stage two. Today we're going to talk about disorientation stage one in our lives. Um, as an overview, this disorientation stage one is, is when something happens in life that shakes you. And that causes you, causes you to, to even go into an aspect of, of anxiety or even depression or some kind of ill will. Something that happens either to you or maybe something that you've done that has caused a negative consequence. And you see this first stage happens here. And the first stage happens where you're understanding that, man, there's some, this is not a good, this is not a good place. This is not a good time for me. The second stage of disorientation is that you understand what happened, but you see that there's hope because your hope is found in Christ. You see that there is, and you understand, you come to the realization, this is what happened, but this is where I'm going. And then the last stage is reorientation. And this reorientation or new orientation uh, uh, place is the position that I am now in the testimony stage of this. This is what has happened, and this now is the testimony that I can give. I've gone through this, but now this is, this is the good on the other side of it. This is what I've learned. This is how I've grown. And these are the three ebbs and flows, orientation, disorientation, and then reorientation. These are the three different types of psalms that you find within the entire book of psalms. And the crazy thing is you see way more disorientation in the book of psalms than you see of anything else. Then you see a reestablishing of reorientation for sure. But the most common one is disorientation. And this is why I want to take some time and and at least two weeks to go through some of these things. Because I think that it's very valuable for us to understand that we're going to go through many different things. And that we are not alone in understanding that trials and tribulations happen. It's very easy to think that once we get saved that we should have a feeling of like, oh man, everything is good. Everything is great. I'm established here, I now have a relationship with God, and this is awesome, and that you should just stay there. And we misconstrue what it means to have joy. We, all, we, we usually attach joy with happiness. Now, we talk about how that's not the case. We actually just had a women's conference that the entire theme of it was to count it all joy, right? But again, joy and happiness are not the same. You can find joy and happiness um, sitting next to each other on the bus in life. But it doesn't mean that they're the same, one and the same thing. You can still have joy and not be super happy. Happiness is a consequence of an action. Joy is a state of understanding. So disorientation, stage one. Let's get into it a little bit. Are you guys ready? You guys okay? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to exert my voice too much. I woke up and had like all the fun things happening right in my nasal cavity. So I'm going to try not to get too wild and crazy and end up having to, to cough it all up. So um, just giving it to you straight. Uh, so disorientation stage one. 
Um, let's get into it. These are psalms of lament. These were written in a period of distress, expressing despair and a longing for salvation. <laughs> Anybody felt that before? Yeah? Yeah, again, written in a period of distress, expressing despair and longing for salvation from something. Again, this is something that we're talking about. I just said I'm not going to shout, but I'm getting excited already. This is, this is something that we're talking about that happens within the life of believers. Remember, this book of Psalms was not written by people who were not Jews. Think about that. These are people who were called the people of God. These were Israelites. People who were supposed to be uh, cared for and sought after and, and, and in line and worshiping God, right? Sometimes we forget about this. That this book was written, this book of Psalms was written by people who believed in who God was and what his attributes were. They remembered the good deeds of God from time and time again. Remember in, when we talked last week about Psalms of Orientation, they even mentioned like, hey, these were great things you did in Exodus. So they were very aware of the attributes and the power and the nature of what God could do. He took them literally out of this, the bondage of slavery with ten plagues, ten crazy plagues against a man who thought himself to be a god, defeated Pharaoh and all of the Egyptian gods, because you could even go into, there's a, there's a theological belief that each one of the plagues that, that were distributed out by God were actually against ten different gods of the Egyptians, specifically against that God's ability to provide for them. And so, I mean, if you take that position, then it's even crazier to think that, that Yahweh, the God of the universe, showed his hand and showed his might against these other lowlier, un insignificant gods that the Egyptians were seeking after, destroyed them in its totality, and then destroyed Pharaoh's own ability to try to, to, to hold his arm against the Israelites and hold them into slavery. It's pretty substantial. So they remembered those deeds that God has done. Remembered those things and they expressed those in the Psalms of Orientation. <coughs> God, this is who you are. This is what you've done. We believe in you. And so these Psalms of Lament are written by people who believe in God. They understand and they worship God. They live their lives in, in direct relationship with Yahweh, the God of the universe. So these were written in a period of distress by these individuals, expressing despair and longing for salvation from this pain. So here's some basic elements that we see within these psalms. I'm going to do just a little bit of teaching. Is that okay this morning? I love to preach, but I also really love to teach. And I think that in order for us to really understand some of these ebbs and flows of life, we have to go through a little bit of teaching and instruction to know a little bit more why we see certain things in the book of Psalms. Because I don't know about you, but before I started really studying the Psalms, I would read one and be like, I don't know what is happening right now <laughs> or why this dude is talking this way. I'm reading one Psalm, and it sounds like the most like bubbly, joyous one. And then the very next one, it's like all hell broke loose on this one person. Like, he has the worst day ever. This must be the most bipolar individual in life. Right? Anybody else have those thoughts? Can we be real? Let's be real today in church, right? Okay, so it's good for us to know why certain things are in the Bible. And so we see some of these basic elements. The first one 
And again, uh, I kind of mentioned last week, I, I love the, the example that Dr. Boda used about his sons. He talks about how um, one Christmas he bought his sons a bunch of Legos. And you know you have a, on the box, it shows you what you're supposed to build with those Legos. Anybody ever see Legos before? I'm getting ready to go to Kansas City. I'm going to go to Legoland, and I'm so excited. <laughs> it's going to be really fun. I know Sean is shaking his head. He's so jealous right now. I'll take pictures and send it to you. You're welcome. Um, but you can see on Legos, when you buy a Lego set, it like has like, whether it's like a Star Wars ship or, you know, you want to build like a house or something like that. It has the diagram of what you're supposed to be building with it, right? And so you can go through the instructions so you can start to follow along, and it's great. But then there's this really cool thing about Legos is that they connect with each other in more than just that one shape that you have on the box. And so you can use those Legos and place them in different ways and actually build something else as well. And so something to remember about the way that these psalms are, are written is that it's not going to follow this exact little template of it's got to do this thing and then that thing and then this thing and then that thing and then this thing next. It's not going to do that all the time. It's going to have the Lego pieces and it's going to have these pieces put together sometimes in different creative ways because these guys are writing essentially poetry. You know, they're singing songs. And so they're being creative in the ways that they find their pain or they find their expression, and then they paint this picture for you guys. Does that make sense? Perfect. So here's one of the elements that you find, an invocation. This is to invoke the presence of God. So this is where you see at the beginning, the, they'll say something like, oh God. You guys ever read that? Oh God, help. Oh God, save me. Oh God, why? Right? So this is an, an invocation that you see in a lament, an oh God moment. And then you see after this invocation, there's a, some type of declaration, bless you, um, to pour your soul out before, before Yahweh, before God. I'm, I'm going to do this. This is something that I'm going to do. And then it's a portrayal of distress, letting, letting God know this is what's happening. This is the worst part. Of what's occurring right here. Does anybody notice a familiarity with maybe some prayers you have prayed? In some of these moments? Have you had these? Oh God, why? Oh God. I don't even know what else to say except for, oh God, this is, this is horrible. And then you declare, I'm, I am going to die. Oh God, I'm going to pass from this place. Oh God, I'm going to be crushed. And then your portrayal of distress. This is what's happening. This is the layout of my landscape. What is going on here? And then the questions that are here going along. Why? And how long? Why is this happening to me? And how long must I suffer? Now the beauty of this question, of these questions, is it, it underlies the right theology that you have within the orientation stage of God's sovereignty. So think about that. When you ask God why, and you ask him how long, and you ask him these questions, you're actually letting him know that you still believe that he is the one who controls the trajectory of your life. Why is this happening? As the sovereign God of the universe, why is this suffering occurring? As a sovereign God, how long is this timeline going to last of my suffering? So here's something that I want to instill in your mind as we, as we 
continue from this point. It is perfectly okay and it is acceptable and it is welcomed to express your pain. Let me say that again. It is perfectly acceptable, it is welcomed, and it is actually required for us to express our pain when we're going through things. It's necessary for us to do this. Otherwise, if we bottle it up, it is going to eat you alive and even change the way that you interact with people. And it could harden your heart the longer you go holding on to this pain. I'm going to get into that in just a little bit, but keep that in your mind as we're going through these things. Why is this happening? And then there's a plea that happens. You'll find a plea in there. So it's like uh, an example of it would be like an imperative. It's a strong sense. Do this. Rescue me now, God. Almost like command. God, save me from the wicked hand of the enemy. Or you have, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm giving you some English words. Some of you guys who really love English, you're welcome for this. Those of you guys who don't, just listen to my definition. You'd be great. Uh, it's called adjusive. And this is a weaker uh, weaker um, um, expression. This is something that, that's like, well, may you, could you possibly, if you had time, just somewhere along the lines, possibly if you would be willing to do this for me, make this happen. So you have the strong command. How, how many of you guys have been there? You're like, God, deliver me now. Sets me free from the hand of the wickedness, right? Or the, or the ones where it's like, hey, I know you got a lot on your plate. You probably got tons of emails in your inbox right now just waiting for you to answer these things. And so just if you have some time today, I mean, it could be tomorrow, maybe next week. I don't know. Just whenever you would feel, it would be great if you could possibly get me out of this little pickle that I'm in right now. Right? Okay. And then you have the other one. That is just like, you're completely mad. I put some other words up there, but this is just like cursing the enemy. It's an imprecation or a, or a malediction. You're just against the enemy. You're cursing the enemy. God destroy these wickedness, this wicked people, these horrible, horrible humans. Just destroy them. Oh, the enemy is coming against me. Lord, just eradicate the devil right now from my life. Just get rid of them. It's horrible. You, this boss of mine is just the worst. Just have a move today. Just have him do something just horrible. This is just bad. Just deliver me from this, this horrible person. It's that kind of mentality. So you have those three ones. Those, those strong, Lord, just pull me out from the depths. Do this now. Or if you could, please. Good, kind sir. Up in, up in the sky, if you would. Or the curse that enemy God. Destroy them with your, with your, with your mighty hand. And then you'll find a motivation for help. So you're, you're appealing to God's character. God, I know this is who you are and this is what you do. And so if this truly is who you are, then you need to go ahead and do this. Or maybe to the magnitude of distress. Lord, if you don't act now, this avalanche is going to kill me in a few seconds, in a matter of seconds. You know, this, this feeling of this weight is going to crush me imminently. You got to do something now. So you're appealing to the distress. You're appealing to those things there. Another thing is you're appealing to the righteousness of, of yourself. God, I haven't done anything wrong. I've actually been following after you, and I'm, I'm going through all of these horrible things right here. What is it that I have done? I have done everything that you've required, but yet I'm suffering still. 
These are many different ways. I, I hope that you're, that you're able to connect these with different prayers that you've prayed or maybe even a current state that you may feel in right now that you are, are, are pleading from the Lord. And then you find also a vow. This is like an offering or thanksgiving. God, if you would just deliver me, then I will do this. I remember being a kid saying this stuff. God, if I don't get in trouble, I promise you I'll worship you for the end of days. Anybody ever done that before? <laughs> Am I the only one? Man, growing up in pastor's house, God, if I, if I don't get in trouble for eating that cookie, just, oh, man, I will, I will give my life to you forever and ever and ever and amen. <laughs> That's a very silly example of it, but we, we do this, don't we? Has anybody ever done this? Come on. I can't be the only human in this room. <laughs> this is some kind of vow that you make with God. If, if you would only do this, then I will do this for you. And then there's a declaration of confidence. Lord, if you would act, or if you would have somebody come and act on my behalf. So many times in Scripture, you'd find it be a prophet, or, or it would be God's hand actually acting out. So they think of like a Moses character who would come and, and be a mediator, someone who would be the hand and the voice for God amidst their trial and their tribulation, would you have someone come and act on the behalf of the sufferer? And then within these laments, you'll find three different subjects of the lament. So three reasons, three different reasons of why they are lamenting. The first one is God. God, why did you allow this? God, why did you do this? Right? Many times this is the first reaction that we end up having. Our first reaction is, God, why did you allow or why did you do X, Y, and Z? God, why did you allow them to walk out? God, why did you allow them to treat me this way? God, why did you allow this horrible accident to happen? God, why did you allow these things? Why didn't you do this or why didn't you do that for me? We blame him. The second subject that we find is the enemy. Now, for them, this could be a, a number of different things. They could think uh, that it could be an enemy from within. So that could be maybe some people in a civil dispute. So within the community of believers, it could be something with an, an enemy uh, trying to come and take over their territory, maybe take over their land, maybe an opposition or in battle. could be that kind of an enemy. Or it could be an unseen enemy, which is in the spiritual realm and, and that type of, of manner. So it could be that, that type of, of thought process. So when we think of an enemy, we think of any one of those uh, processes. And it could also be a combination of a few of them. Many times when there's disarray or discord or, or um, disunity, then there is an act of the enemy, the unseen, that's trying to divide God's people. When there is an action against people in a violent manner and things like that, that is not something that you would originally think would be something that, uh, that, that God has instituted as, as good. Although we see that God does use those means to wake us up from our slumber and idolatry many times. But that's circumstantial from our own hearts inside. And the last one is self. 
The subject of this lament could also be yourself. God, I have done this to myself. We see Psalm 51 when David, uh, he took Bathsheba and then killed her husband. And then the prophet Nathan came and, and exposed his, his sin. Psalm 51 is, is David's apology letter and lament for the things that he had done. God, this is what I have done. I have been wicked. Purify my heart. Remove this from my soul. But do not take your presence away from me. So the three subjects you see, God, enemy, and self. And we find this, again, this is why this, is, this series is called Rhythms for Life. This is not just an ancient principle. This is not just an ancient thought process. We see this in our own lives. When we encounter laments, we, when we encounter uh, disappointments or, or, or something that jars us from our uh, um, initial um, happiness, we, we can question God, we, we can blame the enemy, and then we can look at ourselves for things. And again, let me remind you, these are things that are natural and it's okay to go through this expression of disappointment. God can handle your dialogue. It's just, are you willing to face it so that you can receive the healing that you need? Because that's the only time that you receive healing is when you can actually go through the process of working that out. That's why scripture says we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. The fear is not to be scared. The fear is a reverence and an all sense of who God is and what he can do in us, through us, and to us. So that we can not only be whole and healed, but that we could also serve as a testimony to those who need the same. And so lastly, in this little teaching stand here, is we see a couple themes. Some of these themes are prayer, song, and times of natural disaster. So these type of psalms are, are prayer songs in times of natural disaster. Now, for each of these, is, well, there's two specific categories. One is for the individual. And so this is like in, in times of sickness. So a natural disaster, if you think about an individual, a natural disaster would be a sickness that you would have. That your body is, is, is experiencing a natural disaster in itself. So your body is now off kiltered, and so you feel that you need to express this lament unto God. Plead to him for your healing and for your body's restoration. The next one is for um, the communal. It's like a famine or drought or a plague, something that happens to the community that's around you, your people. So you have the individual basis and the communal. The individual sickness, something that happens to you. Communal, something that happens to the multiple groups of people that you're around. And then the next one is prayer song in times of human persecution. So you have natural disaster and persecution. And of course, we're going to do the same thing. It's, it's human persecution to the individual. So this is something like you are accused of something. Accused of something. Maybe something that you have not done. And so this is a, a lament of being accused for something that has, that has not been for you. Or possibly it has been something that, that is deserved. And so this is a need for a lament, something that you're being accused of, whether rightfully or wrongfully, an accusation. And then communal, you have this aspect as well. In, in the middle of war or civil strife, 
So again, this is dealing with people. You have nature and you have human. So you have the things that happen um, externally and the things that happen within humanity. The individual basis of being accused or the communal sense of there is now war with neighboring nations or with nations or perhaps civil strife within the body of believers. And so these are the themes of laments that you find. And you can even think in your own in your own life how these can move into certain laments that you could have. Maybe you're dealing with sickness. Maybe it's a natural disaster of sickness. You're dealing with with having to deal with an illness. It could be you're dealing with cancer. You're dealing with um, a, a, any kind of disease or ailment. Perhaps it's just seasonal allergies that you consistently have, and you're just tired of having allergies all the time. Maybe it, it, whatever the deal is, it is something that is a sickness that's brought upon yourself that you are lamenting over and bringing frustration. Or the communal sense of famine, drought. Uh, it could be uh, it could even be like a tornado or something like that. Something happens that brings uh, disillusionment. And the prayer song in times of human persecution, dealing with things on the individual basis of being accused wrongfully or rightfully, and then also the communal aspect of war and civil strife. And so let's look at the, uh, I'm going to look at the saddest psalm that we have. <laughs> um, uh, it's psalm 88, the book of Psalms, chapter 88. This by many different uh, uh, theologians and and uh, Old Testament historians, they, they deem this as the saddest and the most despairing of all the psalms that has been written. That if you want to have a good time reading through, you need to rip this page out because you will not enjoy sitting and just reading and dwelling upon this passage. And so um, we're going to go through this, this passage this morning just to give you a sense of what a disorientation stage one is. And again, this stage is essentially the descent of understanding that this is the disillusion that happens. It's a disorientation that happens in the middle of being firmly set and standing up. It's the process of going to your knees, but you're still looking at the ground because you feel hopeless in the middle of that. Does this make sense? And again, this is important. I think this is very, very important because there are times in our lives where we cannot just experience something and then just be happy that not that night about what had, had occurred. That, that's not the reality of life. Anybody, anybody agree with that? This is not just something that, man, you know, the worst thing happened in my life, but I'm just going to be fine at the end of the night. It's going to be great. That's, n- that's not a, a, a proper response to what happens. That's not a proper feeling of what's, what's real. And I, I believe that if we truly look at the Bible, we will find that it has great insights and it has the healing elements that we need for every single circumstance that we can encounter in life. But there's a reason why we worship God. There's a reason why we, why we follow Christ. And so Psalm 88 starts this way. It says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. This is the happiest this psalm is going to get. <laughs> Okay, so just buckle up. Okay, here we go. So let's let's start over again. Okay, verse one, verse one. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night, I cry to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Now again, this is the description request. Verse three, I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. 
I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkest darkness is my closest friend. That's the end of the psalm. Darkness is my closest friend. Now, as I read that, I'm sure many of you felt those words as if you had spoken them your own. Whatever times, whatever season, whether if it be further in the past, near in this time, or maybe currently, you felt those words. They were a part of your, of your thought process. They were a part of your, the, the depths of your soul. Now, maybe some of you guys have even pushed that off into uh, a, like a distant memory. You've just tried not to remember or reflect on those things. You've just tried to carterize that wound and hope that it went away. But once that wound gets touched, if it has not gone through the healing process, then it sparks all those things all over again. Those feelings, those hurts, those pains, that rejection, that abandonment, that frustration, that anger, the hostility, or maybe the complete and utter letdown. Those words have been felt. I'm going to go through a couple things real quick from this that I think is very important. And in verse, verses 3 through 5, he says again, I'm overwhelmed with troubles. My life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. This is the, the description of the predicament of I. I am overwhelmed. I am counted. I am set apart. I am like one without strength. Feelings of agony and despair. Now, 
Now from verse 3, he's, when he says that my life draws near to death. And talking about the place of the pit, the, the place to where he says my life draws near to death is, is Sheol. It's that word, Sheol. And Sheol was a place that they understood to be like from the underworld, the place of death, darkness, and silence. So it was actually used as a place where people were buried who had no family tomb. So there was no connection. There was actually a complete and utter rejectedness from this individual, from any kind of familial state or any kind of what they would deem as being peaceful rest as you pass. So in your passing, you would have no peace. It would just be almost like a discarding, like a, like a dump, like a trash place where they would just put bodies with no home. And so when he's talking about these, I'm overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to Sheol. So my troubles, in this sense, this writer is saying, my troubles have separated me from those whom I have counted dear and the things that I have, have attached myself to as being familial. Something that was, that was precious in life. I draw close to this place of abandonment. Utter darkness, silence, and death. It's the condition of this person's heart. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 38, verse 18, it it's used, uses these two things together, Sheol and the pit. Talking about the, the most wretched place that one could be a part of. This is the type of understanding that this person had. And then we see as we go further down that it moves from I to you. From I am in this place, I feel these things, I'm experiencing this, to now you in verse 6. You have put me in the lowest pit. In the darkest depths. It turned from this is where I'm at. The despair of their heart. To now saying God you are the, the cause of this. They're blaming God in the middle of this. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your ways. You have taken me from my closest friends. And have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot es escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread my hands out to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? So this is the predicament there, and they're saying that I need you to act now because the dead cannot raise their hands. The dead cannot praise. The dead do not have a testimony that they can share openly and honestly in an immediacy. And saying right now is when I need you the most. But I feel as though you have discarded me. With everything that I'm going through right now, where are you? Is your love declared in the grave? Is your faithfulness in destruction? 
are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? This needs to happen right now. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes to before you. Why do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. So this person is talking about a long time of being in this state. He said, from my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. Again, Sheol. From my youth, I've suffered and been close to this place of utter abandonment and rejection. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You have taken me from my, you have taken from me my friend and my neighbor. And now, darkness is my friend. So the feeling of closeness, a friend, or even a neighbor, a family, it could be a family member too, because lots of times they have property and land right there by each other. Uh, they would live communally. He said, you've taken from me the things that I could have. They would draw happiness. I'm in this despairing state. The last thing given is the accusation of God having been been seen as the cause of suffering and they have a lack of hope and so what do we do with this type of psalm hmm? what do we do whenever these these scenarios and these things happen in our lives because for some of us we may be going through this this period of I have been suffering for a very long time and have just been wearing a really good mask that seems as though it's my face. Holding a permanent smile but, but having total despair and feeling like I'm completely removed from what's going on. I feel unseen because the mask I wear does not allow someone to see what's truly hiding underneath this facade. But yet I'm in so much pain that if I remove the mask, it will it will harm my face even more so because it's almost infused itself upon me. It's become me. What do we do in these scenarios? You're like, dude, Zach, this is the, like, the gloomiest message you've ever preached. <laughs> Here's what we do. We, we consistently and constantly go to the cross. We go to Jesus. We look at the one whose hope is uh, our hope is found in. And we look and we understand that Jesus went through every single feeling, loss of expectation. He went through rejection, false accusation. He pleaded, he did all these things. We see in Mark chapter 15, I didn't put it up here, so you don't have to worry about it. In Mark chapter 15, verse 34, he actually quotes, while he's on the cross, he quotes Psalm 22, 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
our Savior, the Word became flesh, God in flesh, hanging on the cross with everyone who was around him abandoning him except for John and his mom. Had spoken in front of thousands and thousands, seen many people healed and delivered, seen many people transformed, spent many nights speaking long, long, long conversations with people, bringing them to the realization of who God truly was and not just in a religious sense, but from a relational sense. Seeing that there's nobody there in support except for just two people there. In the most pain that he had ever experienced in his life, physically. Hanging on a cross for something he never did. Knowing that he had to be there so that we could be set free from, from the sin and the condemnation and the shame and the guilt that we would have in our lives. For people who had not been born yet, but who would be born, and for those who had been born before. The weightiness of sin, as he hangs there on the cross, looks up and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If there was anybody who should feel a sense of abandonment and a sense of, of, of strife and inner turmoil, it was someone who has lived perfectly but yet being accused of things that he had not done. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Quoting this messianic psalm, which if you read through it, there are many different implications that show many different things from there. But the Jews who were there would have known that passage very well. Just by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They would have been able to understand in every sense of what was happening from that psalm, how it related to Jesus. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm going to read it real quick. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a couple pieces of this just to give you an understanding of what happened. It says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you, or they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl their insults, shaking their, hand, their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Which is crazy because they shouted out to Jesus saying, Why don't you just save yourself? If you truly are God, the Son of God, then you should be able to save yourself. So this messianic text of Psalm 22 relayed to them the, the pain and the anguish that he had, but the trust that he had in the Lord because he knew the deeds that he had done before, and he knew all the things that have happened from time and time again with the history. Feeling as though he was a worm and, and he was not even human because they ripped him apart by shred by shred by shred. Hung him up there on those, on those planks of wood and then hurled insults at him. Time and time again, they had a plaque over him that said, Jesus, King of the Jews. He was in despair. And so we look to Jesus in our time of despair. In Hebrews 4, it said in a loud cry that 
that Jesus learned obedience as he was obedient as a son upon the cross. In our suffering, we learn obedience. It's very easy to obey in the midst of, of, of a great time. It's, it's very easy to do the right thing when right things are happening. But in the midst of suffering and pain is where we actually find what true obedience looks like. Because it goes against the fabric of, of anger and anguish and desire of the flesh to act out on your own behalf and to be the judge, the prosecutor, and then the bailiff, the bailiff throwing people into jail for the things that they have done. When in reality, Jesus could have come down upon that cross. He could have struck everyone dead who came, who came against them. And then he could have rode out in a blaze of glory, completely transformed and said, forget this. You guys are crazy. This hurt really bad. I'm out of here. But in his obedience, he said, this was the cup because he, when he was at the garden, sweating those drops of blood in the, in the midst of his, of his anxiety and, and the stress that he was a part of, saying, God, if there is another way, take this cup from me. But his answer was given to him that he was to continue on so that we can have total salvation. And so it was in his suffering, in his obedience, that we were able to actually find the testimony of salvation for ourselves in hebrews 5 14 through 16 it says that we should approach the throne of grace with confidence and i'll wrap up here with this this short little explanation uh, walter brueggemann uh, i mentioned him he's a theologian an old testament scholar he says this type of lament is used is sorry this type of lament is useful and that it helps us know that this is an actual experience of human life. Your suffering is not unique to you in that you are alone in your encounter. Therefore, grief and suffering is formful. It can be supervised according to the community, uh, to community forms that make it bearable and manageable in the community. The griever is kept in community or returned to community by having it articulated that this experience does not lie outside the legitimate scope of the community. So what that's saying is that this is legit, something that we go through, but it is bearable and more attainable to see you through if it's done within community. That means it has to be expressed. You have to use your words. You have to communicate with people when you're encountering these things because if not, it'll cause you to move into isolation. And in that isolation, you will find depression and depression and darkness will become your friend. And so this is more bearable and, and hope is attainable within the aspect of community. It is not an abyss. Neither anomic or that means outside the usual scope or ethical standards in an, in an individual group, group or chaotic. So this is not something that is outside the realm of us being able to handle with one another. And it is not chaotic and that this is something that we cannot handle at all whatsoever because we are in Christ. And when we're in Christ, we can see things through because we can consider it pure joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And endurance happens best whenever you're within community. When I would run track and we would have to do distance exercises or even sprinting exercises, it was one thing for me to be able to do this on my own and to try to strive for that stamina that I needed, but whenever I was able to run with other athletes and people who were able to, to keep up and they were even, a, even able to, to surpass me and they were better than me, it caused me to extend myself even further than I thought I could take. 
because I had the community of people together to go through that suffering with my legs, that agony of losing my breath, and be able to continue on and push further and further and further because I had the encouragement of those who were around me. And then suffering, not that it was fun, but it made the suffering aspect more enjoyable knowing that the, uh, the reward at the end of that process was going to be much greater if I had the community with me as we were suffering together. When you are able to walk through this process, it makes the grief experience bearable, and it is hoped more meaningful. There are five different things that we see in a lament. And this is how I'll end here. The first one is the denial and isolation stage. This is the thought process of, no, not me, it cannot be true. Such denials lead to us immobilize to, uh, sorry, it leads us to immobilizing isolation which is brief and a temporary period. There's many times where something happens, you, you kind of isolate for a moment because it, it's, it's it like it jars you and it hits you and you're like, I need to take a breath. But this only, again, needs to be temporary. This does not need to be a current state that you stay in, in this denial. Oh my gosh, this happened to me. I've heard stories of this happening to other people, but it's happening to me right now. <sighs> so you take a breath. But if you stay in that state, then you will end in bitterness and again, darkness will be your best friend. The next stage that you see is anger. And anger from uh, a theologian reports, it's a deep humiliation and in, 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 in anger that becomes uh, disposable, at the disposable of others. And they are either victimized by, by different routines or, or not being important enough or feeling like they have to wait they start to feel like an object rather than the subject. So they move from being I as to being an it. So just like when Jesus said, I'm a worm. He, he moved from being I to being an it. That, that thought process, that Psalm 22, I'm just a worm. I'm just a thing. I'm just an it. Not feeling the value of who you were created to be. The third thing is, is bargaining. This is your attempt, attempt to postpone or to get like parole for good behavior. <laughs> There's no bargaining power in sitting in depression, feeling like there's no hope. There's no bargain there. Start bargaining with nothing. So it's a quid pro, quid pro quo. It's a, I'll give you this if you give me that, but I have nothing to give, so how can I get anything in return? And then depression occurs when the deep encompassing sense of loss hits you. The sense of nothingness that also makes one powerfully aware of lost opportunities, weaknesses, and the inability to function as the provider or as the king of your castle. You cannot make things happen, which then causes depression a lot of times. I cannot control, therefore this is just nothing. However, it is right after that stage goes through that you find acceptance. And this is where we're going to pick up next week. It's the patient, the person accepts the radical and ultimate loss that occurred. You accept what happened, happened. It is a mood in which the fighting ceases. You are no longer warring with what had happened. It's not chagrined or resignation, but it's an, an affirmation of the all rightness of what's going on. 
It's a surrender of self-sufficiency, but it's also reconciliation. You quit trying to to have the self-security or self-justification and an affirmation of, of what happened, but it's the settledness of life. Understanding there's a larger meaning taking place. It is in this place that hope becomes strong. Not grounded in medical possibilities or or anything else, a, a feel-good book, uh, a, a get-well-soon card, n- nothing like that. This is a sense of buoyancy about the reliable context in which life is lived and given up, saying that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I offer my body to you, Jesus, as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. And this is my spiritual act of worship. I am not going to be the one that is the ruler or the king of my own castle because I cannot make things happen. I cannot think things into existence. I cannot speak and therefore it happens. I cannot do many of these things to the position of me being God. And because I am not God, I rely on his sovereignty. And because I rely and understand that he is the all-sufficient one, he is the creator, now I can move into a place of hopefulness to where even though I may be at a position to where I'm still knocked down on my knees and I feel like I can't get up, instead of my face being put down and my, and my forehead being placed on the dirt, feeling as though I'm going to be turned back to dust, I can now look up and understand that he is who my hope comes from. He is the one that will be able to save me, and he's the one that's going to bring me through. And so therefore, I need the hope of the salvation of Jesus Christ. I cannot do this on my own from this position of brokenness. I cannot make things happen from a state of of nothingness. I, I understand that once I pass away, my willingness and my ability to do things will cease. However, God will continue to be the one who works things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So I understand that I cannot have a testimony without relying upon the Savior. I cannot see the reconciliation happen unless I do this within the aspect of community in Jesus. And so disorientation stage one is a process where you find yourself off-kiltered and face face flat upon the floor where darkness is your best friend. However, next week, we're going to get into the position of a hopeful, disoriented stage and what that looks like. But let me tell you this this morning. We don't, we don't give these types of messages often, but it needs to be said that if you are in a disorientation stage right now where you are in this hopeful, uh, hopeless despair, where you feel like darkness is your best friend, it is actually biblical to be in the stage and to express these things. You need to be able to process this stuff within the community of believers. If you do not, then you will find that it will continuously eat at you to a place where you are not going to be effective, not just for, for somebody else outside, not just for family members, not just in a community, but you will be ineffective for yourself and for what it means to actually live a life that was designed to be lived as a human being created in the image of God. You will not be able to live that life that you were supposed to. You will just live a shadowed figure of that life. So when anger and frustration comes, vocalize it. We cannot be so quickly offended by people who are, who are hurting that we disallow people to process things in the open with us. If that's the case, then we are not a church. We're a country club. 
And I refuse to be that. I refuse to be that. So if you're going through things, we need to express those things with one another. That's where we, f- we have lunch with people. We go over to other people's houses. We talk with one another. We converse with one another. We go through the things that we need to so that we can be stronger as a body of believers. This is biblical. This is biblical. This is joy. Consider it joy when you encounter these things. Because in these testing moments, it will produce endurance. But if you are not tested, then you will not be able to have endurance. If you've never run a race before, and then they ask you to go and run the Boston Marathon, and you stand at the starting line, and they say go, and you pull a hammy on the first three steps, it's because you've not been prepared to go through the race. We need to go through these things. If we truly believe that God is sovereign, then we can walk out these things knowing that he is the almighty God, the everlasting father. He's the creator. He's the beginning. He's the end. He's the savior. He's a strong tower. He's our ever-present hope. He's everything that we need. And he's gifted us with community to be able to walk through these things together so that we can extend further than what we think that we have the capacity to. Let's stand. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to come together. Thank you, Lord, for passages in Scripture that show the real, raw reality of life. Lord, thank you that you do not sugarcoat things and hide things away from us, hoping that hoping that we can just go through life skipping and humming and not deal with things that we need to deal with. Thank you that we have examples of people living out the hardships of life, the disappointments, the discouragements, the pains and the traumas. And thank you that there is hope. But Lord, right now specifically, I pray for those who are in this, this same state that we were talking about this morning. Lord, that there would be comfort and peace given to them. That as they have befriended darkness and as darkness has has sought after them and they feel like they're approaching the gates of Sheol, Lord, that they would be able to verbalize and that you would send people to them that would be able to communicate your grace and your mercy. Not to fix their problems, but to be an ear And to be a shoulder. To listen to what's going on. And then to embrace them in the midst of that. Lord, because you are the one who is the the healer. You are the one that, that binds the hearts of the brokenhearted. You're the one that gave us the, the, the ability to have compassion. And so, Father, we, we rely on you as a good father to do the work that's needed within community. Help us weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Help us be a true community of believers and not just people who gather once a week on a Sunday morning. 
Lord, we want to truly honor you with what your word says. And so help us do that. As we read scripture and as we speak with one another, let us be people of encouragement, but also not try to be Mr. Fix-It Felix with everything that happens in people's lives. Let us be intentional. Let us be loving. And let us ultimately hear from you as we go through these aspects of life freely able to ask questions knowing that you can handle them. We give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody says, amen. If you would like some prayer, we are happy to pray with you guys here in the front. Um, Otherwise, you guys have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday afternoon. Go eat with somebody, go hang out, greet somebody on your way out, let them know that you love them, that you're thankful they're here.